part one of this podcast is going to get into Bitcoin. This is exciting. Uh, this is going to be the kind of the financial populism overall and then also the Wall Street bets crowd and what I've been learning about in the book Killing the Mob, which is fantastic, by the way. It's all about the mafia. And uh, yeah, so I'll be leaving a link to the book in the description. So that'll be exciting. If you guys can check that out, you would absolutely love it. Um, okay, so the first thing is first, El Salvador uh, legalizes Bitcoin nationwide as legal tender. Uh, now, we knew that this was inevitable, uh, that a third world country possibly, but also just really a, a country in general, would legalize Bitcoin as legal tender, uh, meaning that it's official. Uh, it is officially recognized. Now, this will not happen for another 90 days, uh, so it's not available yet, uh, but this is a sign of obviously Bitcoin growth and expansion, right? And what we've been hearing about a lot is something like Russia, China, and in the history of Bitcoin has banned Bitcoin, has actually made it illegal, right? Uh, the problem with that has always been that there is no way to actually implement that law, right? There is no way to uh, really calculate exactly who has Bitcoin and how much, um, and then even to confiscate it, you it's digital. So, you know, if you have it put together in a digital wallet, I mean, essentially the government, nobody has access to it. And it's not like it's regulated. It can't be taxed, right? So uh, they're trying to create that aspect of it, but it will only be considered in what we called capital gains taxes, which is when you obviously cash out. So essentially, if you buy Bitcoin and hold it, then you're good. Uh, you do you you really can't get taxed. I mean, how can they possibly tax Bitcoin? Um, there's no there's no way there's no system to do that. So I want you to understand how powerful that is just as a currency itself. Okay, and I mean I'm talking about just Bitcoin right now. There's other cryptos out there that are great, but Bitcoin in particular is the most important. And this is really key if you're watching this and you may know a little bit about Bitcoin. Maybe you know a lot. Maybe you know nothing. But if you don't know this, it's crucial. The purpose of Bitcoin is to destroy central banks. That is what Bitcoin is designed to do. All these other currencies in the running to attempt to do that are not going to do it to the extent that Bitcoin will. And some may even argue, like a Max Kaiser, that Altcoins are just slowing down Bitcoin's acceleration into making central banks irrelevant, uh, hopefully even destroying central banks. That is very fundamental to understand about Bitcoin. Not that it's a money-making scheme, not that it's just a, a, you know some other currency that you can use in the future, not even that. It really is just to destroy the central banking system. Let's take a look at how that's happening. So that's macro, right? Let's take a let's take a look at micro. Okay, micro. How is this happening? Look at El Salvador doing what they're doing, legalizing Bitcoin as legal tender in their entire country. If you understand El Salvador, um, Guatemala. Panama, that Central American region especially, they have been the victim of the International Monetary Fund. 
of the World Bank. And if you listen or read the book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, you will understand a very personal testimony, point of view, on how the central banking system works. They send people, like the author of this book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, into third world countries that are developing and that have great natural resources or other means of labor or or products or services. And these economists, this economic hitman, but he's called an economist in these regions, what they do is they draw up assessments of a particular nation, right? Like GDP and uh, you know population growth and people moving there, immigration, um, you know, opportunities, infrastructure, uh, policy, politics. I mean, they kind of get a good gauge on the entire nation, and they write these reports and they send them to the International Monetary Fund, which is a bank, a central bank or to the World Bank, okay? Or in many cases, even to the Federal Reserve Bank, meaning like our co- like our country, right? Because the Federal Reserve is our country's central bank, right? And then what happens when you go to our central bank, for example, the Federal Reserve, you have to influence politicians and other people involved in the Federal Reserve, like the Federal Reserve uh, Board, which I'll get to in a second. We're gonna get into that. And you influence them to design policy or to print money uh, through through Congress uh, and through other means to print money, billions of dollars that we then literally send to other countries. That's how this works. Do you understand how this scheme works? You know, you see a lot of conservative pundits and people out there who are always saying things like, we're just sending all this money for to other countries and blah, 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 blah. They, they don't understand exactly how this works. That, that money is sent in forms of loans, in many cases, to US-based companies that are going to these third world countries, getting contracts, and then building something or managing a a, a company, managing some natural resources, or excavating natural resources like gold and things like that, right? This is a powerful thing for us as the Federal Reserve. But the Federal Reserve, remember, is just more debt, more fiat currency, right? And so it's just critical that we understand how financial policy works. But let's just take a look at the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund. These are banks that were funded by the Rockefellers and Rothschilds and the Warburgs and similar, the same exact people are headed up, the families are heading up the Federal Reserve Bank of 1913, right? So the similar banking families are also involved in the money that is that is involved in, that is inside, that is printed uh, in the International Monetary Fund and in the World Bank. In the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, the book, he goes into detail of Panama, for example, but more on how he wrote up these very glamorous economic reports that showed potential that probably wasn't even there so that the nation, a third world country, either directly through their government and to the to the IMF would receive a loan of billions of dollars to fund projects to build coal mines or to mine gold 
or to build dams and rivers that, that are blocking those up and, and creating hydroelectricity plants, things like that. Uh, that loan would be given to this, this country and they were expected to pay it back to the International Monetary Fund or to the World Bank or in our case to the Federal Reserve, right? So how do you do that? Well, how do you gain control of somebody? Just think about this on a micro level. If you receive money from somebody else, like somebody gives you money, have you ever been in a position like that where you have to borrow money from your parents or from a friend and you got to pay them back? How does that feel when you, when you borrow money that's not yours and that you have to pay back eventually? You owe debt, right? That's a form of debt. Now, many of us owe debt and maybe a car payment where we get a car, but you know, the, the, it really doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the, the, uh, the bank that own that loaned us the money, right? So the IMF owns major parts of these third world countries um, and companies that are funded to do whatever they're doing in these third world countries. So these, these, these banks are doing that. But here's the deal. The scam is very simple. If somebody were to loan you money that you had no means of paying back and they knew it, they knew your financial status, they knew you didn't have a job. Does that make sense? They knew that like your circumstances were really never going to be in a place where you would pay the money back to your friend, right? Just imagine that for a second. And that's like sharking. Oh, well, I'm going to loan you the money knowing you can't pay it back so that you have to essentially forfeit an asset of yours to pay it back. Okay. So in that case, it's kind of like somebody loans you money and they're like, Hey, if you don't pay it back, Hey man, I just, Hey, I want to get a couple video games from you or, or, or give me your, give me a, give me a laptop, maybe something that's of value an asset. Give me the laptop and we'll call it even. And this is exactly what the world bank does and the IMF and the federal reserve in some cases, but not all, but mainly the IMF and the world bank. What they do is two years later, five years later, however you want to look at China does this, by the way, to other countries in, in the Asian region. But what happens is a company like, or, or a, a company bank, the bank of China, or again, IMF, these, these banks, they come knocking on these third world countries doors, if you will. And they say, Hey, look, we, we, we know you can't pay this back. We, we know you're going to default on the loan. Why don't you just give us the gold mine? Just let us, let us own it. We, we will own all, every part of it. And that'll be, we'll be even. Let us just take the coal mine. Let us just, you know, uh, take full control and have full ownership over the hydroelectric dam. If you do that, hey, we'll call it even. And we'll just say, we'll, uh, you know, relieve you of this debt. Many politicians in that area say, okay, fine. You know, that's, that sounds great. Uh, let's just give over the hydroelectric dam to the IMF and let them have it. Then they'll run it and they'll do great. And then, uh, you know, we won't have to worry about it. We won't get into debt. The issue with that is that over time, so many projects and so many loans are given out to all these third world countries that these central banks essentially start to own real assets, real valuable wealth, right? What's more valuable, the fiat currency or the hydroelectric dam? Well, the hydroelectric dam is better. So in, in essence, 
The bank prints the money or just types the money, right? Just creates it out of thin air. I'm not even kidding, by the way. We don't even have a gold standard anymore, right? We have no way of calculating how they're printing this money or where this money comes from or what the value is, right? The only way they do that is through inflation, which we'll talk about later. They loan this money out there. They don't want the money back. They fucking printed it in a computer. They, however you want to look at it, they put, they type it into a computer. They don't want the money back. Do you understand? Don't you get it? They don't want the money back. They want the asset that the money was used to buy. That's like the bank loaning you money for the car you're going to own. And the bank's like, no, I don't really want the money back. I want the car. And they repossess your car. Or they, let's say the bank comes and says, hey, I know you're paying your $300 car payment, but why don't we speed this up and uh, renegotiate and you pay $1,000 a month and then maybe pay it off faster. But guess what? That's the only way we're going to be able to get the money back from you. And sorry if you can't do that. And you have to be like, oh my God, I can't afford 1000 a month. I was paying 300 or 200 a month, you know? So then the bank's like, well, that's fine. Just give us your car back. You don't need it. We'll just repossess it from you. You get, you get it now? That's exactly what happens in third world countries. So now that you understand that, which might have taken five to seven minutes or 10, who knows? You can now see how big of a deal a nation like El Salvador essentially legalizing Bitcoin is. If they use Bitcoin as a form of a bank, they will actually be wealthier in the long run because they will have a real asset, a real currency, okay, which is Bitcoin, which many people want to say it's, you know, it's made up, it's digital. I get that concept, but I want you to understand in the context of Bitcoin today and where it's going, it is a valuable asset, a valuable asset. So what El Salvador is doing is absolutely powerful, okay? Uh, And on top of that, okay, what you've got is, is fascinating, okay? Let's check this out. So El Salvador, if you don't know, they have volcanoes, okay? And they're trying to use the volcano's geothermal, which by the way is probably the best, most environmentally friendly, sustainable energy is geothermal. If, if we can harness more geothermal and, and provide that access to the world, uh, that could be powerful. It's just hard to transport geothermal and there's a lot of semantics to that and there's a lot of science I'm not going to get into. But the point is that El Salvador is going to use the geothermal volcanoes to actually produce and mine Bitcoin, to mine Bitcoin, okay? So this is a story out of the New York Post, uh, the New York Post, sorry. Bitcoin, and I'll, I'll, I'll include all the articles in the description in the podcast, by the way, so you're more than welcome to, to check that out. It's very interesting. Uh, Bitcoin is red hot in El Salvador, and the country says it plans to use power from its volcanoes to mine it. El Salvador president, 
just hours after the country's legislator approved the Bitcoin law, making it the first to accept Bitcoin as legal tender, revealed Wednesday that the nation's state-owned geothermal electric company will harness volcanic energy to mine the cryptocurrency. The president said the country is already designing a mining hub that will use very cheap, 100% clean, 100% renewable energy from volcanoes to power the operation, which effectively would be a bank, think about this, of super-powered computers that solve the complex mathematical equations required to mine Bitcoin. This is absolutely stunning. If it didn't hit you right, you don't understand it. They're going to mine Bitcoin. This country is going to mine Bitcoin endlessly using 100% renewable fuel. At a cost of zero, this little country is going to mine a very valuable cryptocurrency, right? Essentially creating a state bank of El Salvador that will be a Bitcoin bank. Essentially, if it all works out, which there's five to 10 years of work here, but that Bitcoin could be more valuable than anything the IMF or World Bank has to offer the country, okay? Meaning that that country can just use Bitcoin as a form of currency and be completely divorced from the US dollar as a world reserve currency. And they can use construction projects, uh, all kinds of other state-run projects, infrastructure projects, uh, other cybersecurity projects. I mean, I could just go on and on. There's so many different things that the country can do if they had their own bank that was Bitcoin run, okay? That is a visionary thing, okay? And this is the way, in uh, Markets Insider, I'll post this one, uh, El Salvador's stupid decision. Oh, no, 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 well, let me actually just say that real quick. So look, the way Business Insider understands this, look, they say it's a stupid decision to adopt Bitcoin. That's their version of it. So, so I want you to get this, understand the anti-establishment nature of Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, and the cryptocurrency itself, especially in the long run as a possible world reserve currency. So the Business Insider has an article saying this, El Salvador's stupid decision to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender could collapse the economy, says some economist, right? What's that? The signal there is that Business Insider is interested in trying to demoralize and to demonize the idea of a populist currency like Bitcoin. So I, I put that article there because it's important for you to read that stuff, guys, because you need to know what the enemy is up to. I have that exact same thing. I have regular news feeds that I go to that I know is propaganda. I know it's what the enemy is saying, like the Council on Foreign Relations and other places like The Economist and things like that. The Financial Times, yada, yada. These publications, you have to pay to even read them. Um, they are speaking to the elite, okay? Directly to the elite. So if you want to know what's going on, just pay and subscribe to some of these magazines and these, uh, you know, these articles, these newspapers, basically, these digital newspapers now, and go ahead and start reading these. That's going to make you more informed because you're going to know what the elites are reading, okay? Max Kaiser, this is in uh, CoinMarketCap. CoinMarketCap is another great cryptocurrency news outlet. 
Now, Max Kaiser suggests El Salvador to float Bitcoin volcano bonds to retire the IMF loans. This is exactly what I just said. They could make their own bank, okay? So, the IMF is at war right now with El Salvador, trying to be like, hey, we're going to screw you over if you continue to do this, blah, blah, blah. So, it really is a, a war happening, a financial war, guys, which, by the way, you heard it here first. The president of El Salvador could easily, in the near future, be assassinated. Do you understand how this works now? This is how you get thrown out of an airplane over a jungle. Like what happened to the Panamanian president. Okay? This is what happens in third world countries. Is the IMF and other very interested partners would very easily be discussing right now hit teams to go in there and try to overthrow that government. Sometimes in some countries, you need to overthrow the entire government. So it's a little harder than a little assassination, right? And and what happens with an assassination is you have to make sure you have somebody else in line that is going to be well-funded and is going to be completely puppet for the IMF that is going to replace that president after you kill him. Sounds intense, right? That's the way the world works, people. So the El Salvador president could be killed. But here's the problem. If the, the nation, if the population, this is very significant, if the population of people in El Salvador uh, are populist and they like their president and they like what's going on there and they like the idea of Bitcoin as their, as their currency there, that's more difficult than just a quick one-off assassinating a president. That is much more difficult because you have to work to demonize and demoralize that population to make sure that they don't replace that president with somebody else that's good for them, right? So what do you do? Well, classic, divide and conquer. Look what's happening to our country. Let's turn the populist people against them and say that, say it's racism or something. Find out how to divide and conquer them whether it's a religious dispute, whether whatever it is in their country that they have differences on, fuck, it could be a soccer team they have a difference on. Who knows? Whatever it is, they're going to fund massively. Do you understand how the world banks work now? They're going to fund revolutions inside of those populist countries like El Salvador. So either expect the president to be assassinated or expect a massive civil war to break out in El Salvador in the next five years. You heard it here first. Because they, the, the IMF is not going to take it easily. They're not going to just say, oh yeah, go ahead and let these guys do what they want to do. No, absolutely not. So, as I said, expect that in El Salvador. But if other Central American countries, which they're already looking at it, other, other uh, people now in Central America and other third world countries are looking to do the same exact thing as El Salvador. Okay. Okay. Let me continue reading. Bitcoin evangelist Max Kaiser has a suggestion to get rid of the IMF loans by floating Bitcoin volcano bonds backed by future Bitcoin mining revenues. This suggestion came as El Salvador president is keen on developing green energy Bitcoin mining hubs. By using the geothermal energy from the nation's 22 major volcanic locations. So again, re reverting back to the idea that they're using geothermal to fund the Bitcoin mining operations. 
So Max Kaiser holding no words back. Max Kaiser said that Bitcoin is set to take down the central banks and the IMF is the first on its list of targets. So the International Monetary Fund that's just loaning all this money, printing it or typing it, however you want to look at it, printing it out thin air uh, to all these third world countries. The IMF is needs to be destroyed. That's powerful. Okay. So speaking to Express UK, Kaiser also predicts that Bitcoin will rise to become the reserve currency of the world and central banking giants like America's Federal Reserve and the Bank of England are at the risk of being dismantled. Okay. So again, this is incredible. Okay. So Max Kaiser continues. I've advised El Salvador to create new volcano bonds backed by future Bitcoin mining revenues to recapitalize their balance sheet and retire the IMF loans. I know of two banks in New York that are working on this now. Property prices in El Salvador are set to triple this decade as several countries in the region, Argentina, Guatemala, Paraguay, and others will announce shortly they are following El Salvador's example. That is absolutely powerful. The fact that other Central American countries are realizing that this is a way out of IMF. The mining that the, that the, that the free energy is going to provide, mining all that Bitcoin, is going to create so much Bitcoin wealth for this country that they're going to be able to loan it to other countries. When you become the bank, you become the most powerful entity. Because, guys, understand this. Banking and banks are not evil. The practice of banking is actually incredible. The, the, the financial uh, incentive to grow and, and, and to expand in a country using capitalism and free markets, there needs to be financial institutions like banks to fund new and upcoming projects and to invest in the future of a growing economy, right? The problem is that when you centralize banking like the IMF, Federal Reserve, and the World Bank, they have all the power. And then they strip away the gold standard. And so they essentially have no uh, backing whatsoever as to what their currency is really worth, right? And they go loan the money, take real assets in return, and they pay off the nothing, dollars, digital, whatever you want to look at anyway. So this is extremely incredible. As I've been saying, is that Bitcoin is not an investing scheme to make a little bit of money, okay? It is not a meme. It is not something to do for fun. It is designed to destroy central banking and to empower the people like El Salvador, for example, just that country, for example, could have a bank that is Bitcoin based that would loan legitimate money and smart contracts, which is happening already in terms of smart contracting between individuals and entities and consumers and other investors. Okay. They're able to loan money backed by Bitcoin. So it's real valuable money. And they can have a real banking system that actually empowers the nation, makes them more powerful. Because at the end of the day, Bitcoin is going to continue to rise in in terms of price and how valuable it is. And as Bitcoin continues to rise, those nations and those essentially those geeks in in, in, in the basements everywhere who are mining Bitcoin are going to become even more powerful, right? And they're going to earn even more. So again, very, very interesting to look at Bitcoin because, again, this is going to be the world reserve currency. So there's been some issues with, for example, uh, Donald Trump, right? Trump, you know, he doesn't like the Bitcoin 
thing because it threatens U.S. hegemony, okay? Meaning that it, it really is a threat to the U.S. dollar. And people like Trump and other politicians, you have to recognize these people are nationalists, right? So in the American nationalist group here, we would basically like to see the U.S. dollar continue dominance and continue to be used as the world reserve currency because it helps our nation, right? But in reality, if you look at this long term, it's better in a better world to have Bitcoin as a world reserve currency. So Trump doesn't like Bitcoin because he's a true nationalist and he's looking out for the country. Because yes, it is true that if Bitcoin be does become a world reserve currency, it would kind of even out the playing field across the world. And it wouldn't allow American politicians to continue to print money and to fund ridiculous things. It would actually force our companies and our country and our politicians to exist in a market, a true free market, where you have to actually manage risks. Uh, you can't loan money as easily like that. You, you have to live in a, in a world full of true equity. That's the possibility of having Bitcoin as a world reserve currency. It's scary as hell to think about. Uh, because if you're just, you don't have any Bitcoin and you have a bunch of US dollars, yeah, it's, it's truly scary to think about the end of the US dollar. You know what I mean? And I, I don't want that necessarily. I'd like to really kind of ease into it. Okay. But the problem is that the inflation based off of the Federal Reserve printing of the money is getting completely out of control and it is accelerating this, this, uh, this, well-deserved and essentially um, well-known financial crash of the U.S. dollar that is coming. And that's the key that everyone has to understand is that, look, we're losing 2 to 5% on our buying power every single year. Have you noticed that when you go to your favorite restaurant, um, if, if they're going up in terms of inflation, uh, the prices of your meals even are about two to 5% higher than they were last year, okay? This is especially true for corporate uh, restaurants and things like that, maybe even like fast food chains. You notice they bump up the price of their little sandwich, burger, whatever, about, you know, by a few cents or, you know, pennies or, or, or 10, 12, 15 cents, you know? And, and you may not notice it too much, um, but it is happening. But that's true across the board, that means that groceries are becoming more expensive. You know, apples, they might go from, you know, 39 cents an apple uh, to, you know, 48 cents an apple or 59 cents an apple. Do you see how that works? Th this bump in price is actually hurting everybody. So what's happening is the US dollar is losing its value over time, okay, while Bitcoin is exponentially growing in value over time. So even if you had a savings account with US dollars in it, if you had $100 today, and let's say a year from now, you have $100. Well, the buying power of that $100 will be not $100. Uh, it'll be about $95 to $97 worth, right? That's just with 2 5% of inflation. And so you can't necessarily have that in a stable, you know, economy that you would see as a growth, you know, a potential for growth. You cannot have your currency going out of control, okay? Uh... Look, the reason I know that is because the Council on Foreign Relations, they 
they are very obviously globalist, okay? They're run by Rockefeller interests and things. They were started in 1920, the Council on Foreign Relations. Members of the CFR are like our heads of the secretaries of state. Every single secretary of state, except for Mike Pompeo, has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, okay? And I'm not going to get into this group right now. That's a lot of history and stuff I'm writing in my book. You can get into that later, um, and I'll be releasing that book too. So the Council on Foreign Relations is very important. Let's just put it this way. It's a globalist publication. And this is what they wrote about it. How much is too much? The U.S. inflation debate heats up, okay? So look, the, the, the inflation rate is important because a lot of large Wall Street entities and financial interests look at the inflation rate as a way to gauge the economy, how to gauge investing and things like that, right? Uh, let's take a look at some a piece here. Um, let's start with some facts. I'm just going to read from the uh, the publication here. Inflation, as measured by the Federal Reserve's preferred metric, which is called core PCE, uh, this tracks personal consumption expenditures, excluding food and energy, was roughly 3.1% on a yearly basis through April 2021. So again, inflation, that's a 3.1. I just said 2 to 5, right? They're calculating here that it's, it, it grew, it's been growing yearly at 3.1%. The Fed's publicly, I'm reading now, the Fed's publicly announced framework for managing inflation in which it aims for a 2% rate over the long run, but can tolerate periods when the rate is slightly higher to offset periods when it is slightly lower. May not make this rate of roughly 3% seem extremely problematic, Similarly, surveys indicate that consumers expect inflation to be around 3%, a slight increase from the public's expectation of about 2.5% that had prevailed for a long time, meaning that the consumer index, we as consumers are expecting our dollar to lose value continuously. We're not expecting the Fed to do anything different. Taking all of this into account, Federal Reserve policymakers have consistently said they will be patient before raising interest rates and that they will see any spikes in inflation above the acceptable range as being purely transitory, very important word, the result of temporary bottlenecks as the U.S. economy reopens after the pandemic-induced shutdown. So that's a pretty way of basically saying that the Federal Reserve policymakers really are just lying. They're just saying, hey, look, I mean, we're expecting a little bit of these, you know, interest rates to get higher and we are going to be patient on raising interest rates. They say till 2023, uh, which basically means that you have inflation is like, let's say it's 3.1%, like it just mentioned. Let's say inflation is 3.1, but then if you've got to pay back the Federal Reserve, because the Federal Reserve is a bank, right? So if the American taxpayers have to pay back an additional 2, 3% or 5% uh, in interest to the Federal Reserve Bank, that's going to cause, it's going to cost even more over the long run, right? So that's a total of about potentially 5 to 8% of our money either losing value or becoming taxed that we will owe back to the Federal Reserve at some point. So again, guys, I say this, all this political, or not political, but financial jargon, it is political though, by the way, uh, but this financial jargon, so you understand that even the powers in the CFR, even the elites are looking at this inflation and this these interest rates and all this ridiculousness coming from the Fed as a, a problem. Because I've tried to explain this to, to a few people. 
there are globalist interests involved in our government that kind of want the depopulation, World Economic Forum, United Nations agenda to be in full control. And then you have this other party of elites that live in America, that is, that are more of the corporatocracy control consumer type. They still have their power and from the consumer. They have their, their, their power does come from manipulating us as consumers to continue to purchase their products and services. So they kind of need human beings to live and consume their products and services uh, and to sort of navigate through the whims of society. Uh, so they don't want to necessarily completely depopulate us and take control, right? And they're also, by the way, because there's a free market, there's corporate interests that are still small enough, uh, but still powerful, but small enough to where they don't want to see the monopolies that have been created uh, all over the place in different industries. They don't want to see monopolies because some of these major companies are still competing for that top spot. And that top spot is the guarantee of the next monopoly being that they that top spot, whatever, whatever industry it is, if it's energy or whether it's electronics or whatever, that top spot in that industry is going to essentially be who the Federal Reserve or other financial interests will go ahead and make them the monopoly in that industry, right? So it's, it's complex to understand, but the point is, is that the elites don't all agree. The elites are, there are elitists, if you will, which I refer to as the matrix, right? The control figures, you know, um, they're all kind of disagree. They have different w ways of controlling us. They have different means of doing it, but they also have different agendas overall. And so I read from the CFR to you guys listening now to understand financial policy and understand that, hey, you know what? Uh, look, the crypto thing, it's just, it's just not really, it's not really working out or, or as, as they're, they're saying it as that because they're saying, look, we don't want crypto to be around. You know, we don't want, we don't want the Bitcoin thing to exist because it's going to take you know, hegemony array away from these larger uh, uh, financial powers like the Federal Reserve Bank or the World Bank or the IMF. And so they, you've got these other elites that are basically saying like, hey man, slow down on the inflation because, uh, you know, people are kind of running away from the US dollar or people are going to Bitcoin and they're, they're rightfully so because of the worry of the value of the US dollar over the long run. So again, very, very important to understand that aspect of it. Um, Okay, let's move on to the next thing. So look, I mean, whew, wow, so much there to unpack, which I'm excited about. I'm reading this book about the mafia, okay? And I kind of wanted to touch on it here with you guys on the podcast uh, just to say that, look, the mafia, you could, you could say that there essentially is a cartel of financial interests that do exist today, corporatocracy style mafia. Um, but look, I mean, I want you to understand the mafia for what it was. The mafia was the size of a an AT&T in terms of wealth. But it was a group of families that nobody knew about. And that was called a conspiracy theory, essentially. If you were to ever say something about, hey man, I think that there's a control, I think that there's like a criminal element that's got millions of dollars of wealth, you know, and, and, and they're running stuff behind the scenes. Yeah, that'd be called a conspiracy theory. But guess what? That's called the mafia. Whether it's the Italian or the Jewish mafia, the Russian mob, really the Italian mafia though was the largest and most powerful. And they did work with the Jewish mafia as well. 
But I want you to think about how Americana actually the mafia was bootlegging and pro during the prohibition era where literal alcohol was made illegal. I mean, look, I don't like alcohol that much. I don't drink that often, but you're going to make it illegal for eight years. You're really just empowering criminal elements to become wealthy by selling a very high demand consumer good called alcohol. That's not very smart. Does that make sense? And so essentially as things in the world today become more criminalized, okay? I'm not even talking about drugs and marijuana and all that. I mean, that's just unbelievable. But as things like social distancing and partying and being with more than one person or two people or three people or uh, not having a vaccine to come to my business type of thing or my country, right? Um, That is going to create a need, in my personal opinion, for a mafia-style group to essentially dominate this new criminal element of society, which is the people that want to just hang out and spend time together and not get a vaccine, an experimental drug, experimental poison, right? And I can go on, right? The idea today... Um, that the government is essentially criminalizing normal and possibly even healthy behavior like hanging out with your friends, it, it creates a void of potential for a mafia-style group to gain power over these criminal elements. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But the point is, is like how Americana was the mafia. I mean, think about it. Yeah, they were they had prostitution rings and they basically built Las Vegas and they had gambling and all this other stuff, but they built infrastructure. They they were responsible for funding massive projects that ended up bringing massive amounts of wealth to not just the mafia, but to the country and to local citizens of the city of Vegas or just in general, uh, people all over Chicago and Tampa. And so it, it kind of is like, it's a good and bad thing, okay? And I just think that reading this book is helping me understand the actual need of, a, of an underground sort of criminal mafia style element because it gives, it, it kind of decentralizes power from the government as much as there's power there, but also the corporate and financial institutions that exist today like the central banking system. The mafia kind of exists as like an underground banking system, an underground... Um, you know, uh, enterprise, you know, uh, possibly even a whole system of consumer goods that could be, that could be a possibility in the future. So it's just interesting. Uh, I just wanted to mention that just for fruit for thought on behalf of everybody here. And then, uh, really moving on to the next point I wanted to talk about in my show notes here is the shorting of GameStop, AMC, and other meme stocks that is causing the loss of, I'm not even kidding, billions of dollars from major hedge funds on Wall Street. And they are fucking pissed, okay? Some major hedge funds have lost billions. Like one one or two being like they've lost billions themselves, okay? And I want you to understand that these sort of uh, power structures, these hedge funds, okay, that exist in Wall Street, they are using, in some cases, taxpayer money, 
Uh, many cases, you know, 401ks, you know that little thing that you have if you have a corporate job? They take a little bit of money off the top of your paycheck because so, they would invest it for you. What they're really doing is they're sending it to these hedge funds, okay? They're sending it to these hedge funds and these hedge funds are managing your money for you along with millions of other Americans and they're investing that money in the market and they are making you a bit of money but they're also taking a scheme off of the profits. They call it a management fee, right? So these hedge funds, all they do is manipulate the markets, they invest in things obviously that are gonna do good but they're also shorting a lot of stocks like small things that are declining in terms of their wealth and power like AMC movie theater, right? AMC movie theater, like God for, I mean, who's going to the movie theater today? I mean, I love the movie theater. I remember it. I love it as a classic tradition, but it's dying, you know, and no one's arguing that it's going to make a comeback. Uh, same thing with GameStop for whatever reason. People are just ordering online. They're, the GameStop is becoming just not as valuable. I mean, I personally, I mean, as a gamer in high school and stuff, I enjoyed GameStop. I enjoyed going in, asking the nerds in there kind of what games to look at or what remotes are better or what online features are good and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the point is, is if you're being honest with yourself and with the people around you, GameStop isn't going anywhere. It's it's declining. It's, 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 it's power is declining. It's wealth is declining. And so should its share price. You know, its stock price should reflect the company's standing in the market. That's honest business. But here's the thing. The best part about it is that these major hedge funds, they are shorting these stocks, meaning that in these you know short-term and long-term gambles, if you will, these hedge funds are basically saying that GameStop will be less valuable than it is today. And by shorting those stocks, if what they say is true, let's say in a 90-day bet, right? a 90 day purchase is what happens is those hedge funds make, you know, a little bit of money, a little bit of, pro it's like a guaranteed profit. Does that make sense? Guaranteed profit. You know, you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to gamble and say that GameStop is going to be less valuable in three months in terms of stock price than it is today. By how much? Let's just, you know, let's calculate. Oh, okay. It'll be down 3% or 10%. And so by that math, you will actually earn money off of your essential estimation, right? Well, the problem with shorting is that if you end up being wrong, okay, you'll make a little money if you're right, but if you're wrong, you can lose infinite amounts of money. So the percentage, and I'm not perfect at explaining this because I'm not totally in the financial game in terms of shorting stocks, but basically, if you're going to gamble to short, if the, the stock goes up instead of down, whatever percentage it's going up you will actually reflect a loss in your portfolio. So if it goes up 100% or 50%, you're gonna show a loss of whatever you bet into that in that gamble, you're gonna lose all that money, right? And so these hedge funds, since it's such a safe bet in terms of what they're thinking, oh, GameStop, AMC, they're gonna go down, right? So it's such a safe bet. In many cases, they're gambling billions of dollars. I say gambling because essentially that's what it is. They're investing billions in the short of those stocks. While the Wall Street bets people, these populist retail investors, and these people are not the Trump voting, you know, people that you would think they are. These are mainly liberal 
populists, you know, but they're against the big hedge funds controlling the way Wall Street works, right? And so as a way of attacking them, if you don't understand what's happening, I'm just telling you now, is these retail investors are basically on these blog, these blogs on Reddit, uh, these blog posts, I was going to say, but blogs, the whole entire blogs dedicated to telling people what to invest in, right? And so these blogs are just saying, hey, keep buying and holding AMC and GameStop because the longer you hold and the, the, the higher that price gets, the, the more money these hedge funds are losing. And as that money continues, because those bets are three months, six months out, one year out. If the, if the stock price continues to stay at where it's at or go even higher, these hedge funds could go, go out of business, guys. I'm not saying that's the best thing ever. But what's happening is because of this attack on the big guys in Wall Street, it's just hilarious, right? Uh, but the issue is this. These big hedge funds uh, and these other financial institutions that have shorted these stocks and are now losing potentially millions, if not billions of dollars, okay, they are asking the Federal Reserve to come in and start regulating these retail investors. And even the DOJ, the Department of Justice, meaning the FBI, is investigating these retail investors, these people who post stuff on blogs. The FBI is investigating these people for cr financial crimes, essentially. Oh, well, you can't be telling a bunch of people to do this because this is a bad thing. No, it's totally fair. If they want to buy GameStop, anyone and everyone, as long as it's publicly traded, they can do so. And there's this Forbes article saying it perfectly, okay? No, that's not Forbes. It's the Wall Street Journal. Oh, no, it was Forbes. I guess I, oh, I had it right here, guys. Sorry about that. Okay, the Forbes uh, article about this. Here's the title. Are the apes now running Wall Street? For those of you who don't know, the people who are doing the Wall Street bets, who are the blog posters that are doing the retail investing, they call themselves the apes, okay? Because they're just saying that, you know, they're the apes meaning like, you know, they're the, they're the, they're, the unwashed masses, right? The people that are, you know, going to, there's probably a better description that's like more official. I'm not getting it perfectly. But the reason they call themselves the apes is to identify as obviously retail investors who are just screwing over the, the big guy, you know, the little guy screwing over the big guy, you know? And in this Forbes article, it explains so much about this. It explains everything. I'm going to post it in the description so you guys can read about it. But I want you to think about this. In the AMC in, in particular, AMC is a big movie theater. Some of you may know it. Obviously, it's in your local town. But the AMC managers and, 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 and corporate heads are having a blast with the fact that their company is valued at so much more money. And so now they're actually trying to improve the quality of experience at, they're using the money. They're using these investors' money to actually improve on their company and try to make it better. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's going to go anywhere. I'm not saying that AMC is going to be successful or something. But all I'm saying is very simply, hey, look, I mean, these managers are having fun with it. And they're like, hell, keep investing, hold, you know, buy and hold. I don't, you know, these hedge funds trying to short us over here. Uh, you know, th they're not helping us. They're just betting on our losses. They're betting on us to fail. How weak is that, by the way, just psychologically? You're gambling and you're betting on failure. You're betting that someone's going to fail or that a company is going to fail. I don't know. I think psychologically, that's just kind of messed up. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you just, because usually, of course, don't talk, get me started on like venture capitalists, but 
there are a lot of investors that are happy. They're like angel investors in many cases where they give money with like super small interest in return. But it's like investors are excited to invest in companies or entrepreneurs, you know, because they want to see those ideas prosper. They want to see growth. And this is what I meant by saying earlier, banking is good. Investing is good because banking, what they're doing essentially is investing in the community by offering loans. Does that make sense? So banking is a good thing if it's not centralized, if it's decentralized, and if it uses real asset value, real, uh, well, well, real currency value, right? Because what's true about that when you have something like Bitcoin is you're not going to give away your Bitcoin because you know it has real value. But if you give it away and, and you have a contract saying, hey, you have to give it to me and plus some and interest, you would be more careful about the businesses and the people and the nations that you invest into, right? That you loan money to, right? You're not going to loan money to the guy who's jobless. But if you see someone's got a job, they have they have a great job, means to pay it back or they're about to get a great job and you, you, you know it all, all the details about it and you're excited for them. You're like, okay, I'll loan you this money and I know that you're going to pay me back. Well, there's what it's, it's again, it's creating a market, a financial market that has equity, true equity, because the risks are real, right? The, the, these, these people can lose their money by, by essentially giving it over to an entity or company uh, or to an entrepreneur. They could lose their money, right? The vacuum cleaner might not sell. The cool pillow or the, the cool whatever. It just may not make it. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of these investors are risking it. But if banking, like I said earlier, if major banks like the central banks that literally type up a currency on a freaking computer and just give a huge loan out, cost them literally nothing to do, that is fucked up. You cannot have banking like that. That's not how a real economy is supposed to grow. Does that make any sense? And those central banks are the same people who go over and take, they take control of the real assets, right? So you just can't have that anymore. Uh, and we're moving away from it. And I just think that the attack on these major hedge funds is a way of showing, look, you can't be just gambling on the failure of some company or some business. And it's not to make money. Even though these, these retail investors are making a lot of money buying GameStop stock and holding it, it's stupid. It's artificially growing, of course. It's just it's only growing because of people's interest in it, okay? The second people get disinterested in buying this stock, it'll plummet in value and anybody buying into it's going to lose money, guys. It's not to make money. It's to it's to hurt these major hedge funds that have control over a lot of Wall Street, right? So, it's so important to understand and to just think of the, the laughing joke that the FBI wants to go and investigate these retail investors because they're causing financial instability in the markets, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all BS. It's all so that they can manage and control the people that are, uh, you know, who are interested in, in handling that control, right? And uh, look, I mean, this is going to essentially conclude the first part of the podcast, um, I'm probably gonna end up recording the other ones tomorrow and upload these in parts because I think they're very important because they do tie together. So if you're listening to this now, part one, I'm gonna go ahead and upload part two uh, in, the, in the following month, or I mean, sorry, in the following day or days. Uh, so be excited for that. 
I'm happy to give you guys that that opportunity. So uh, if, you, if you're listening to part one, you see already see part two and part three. They're all going to connect, okay? Because this is where where populism is making a comeback. Uh, but on part three, I'm going to explain to people how there's going to be a a fight against it by the established powers. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So I appreciate those of you watching and listening. If you listened this far and you enjoyed this particular podcast, this particular episode, hey, you know what? Leave a five-star review. Let me know what you loved about it or even message me privately. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can follow me on my Instagram page and my Facebook page and we can connect there. You can always message me. You can always ask me for articles or or more information. I'm happy to do that because you guys are absolutely awesome. You are, um, you're, you're the reason why I do this. You know, you're the reason why I do this is because, you know, I want people to know the truth about what's going on. And I am very blessed and honored, uh, to have the ability to go over information and discern, have discernment, which is a God thing, uh, over what I'm reading over what I'm seeing. So I just love it. I absolutely love it. This is something that I love and I will continue to do. Um, so thank you for tuning in guys. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, or you're eating. Peace.